cancer journey is unique for everyone. It is time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Hi, I'm Jen Cochran. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast. This week, my guest is Diane Hayworth. She's a certified high-performance coach, spiritual teacher, public speaker, and Amazon best-selling author who teaches clients how to bring consciousness to chaos so they can live a life of less panic and more peace. Who doesn't want that? Today, we're going to be talking about her experience as a caregiver. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Hi, I am here today with Diane Hayworth. I am so happy to have her spotlighting being an adult caregiver. We met at an event over the summer that I will never forget, our very, very brief meeting. She walked up to me and handed me the piece of paper with her info on it, and she told me I could be a stand-up comedian, which I thought was really hilarious because when I read the paper that she had given me after she had scampered away, at the bottom she wrote, wrote a book about my journey as an adult caregiver to my dad. Book is called How to Choose Love When You Just Want to Slap Somebody. And I thought, whew, I'm the comedian. Uh, And then she also noted that her parents and aunts and uncles and grandfather all had had cancer. And I think as as a cancer survivor, I can really relate to that. And also I had many situations in my growing up where my grandparents were not well. And my mom was always the primary caregiver. So I saw a lot of that caregiver role. So welcome, Diane. I'm happy to have you here today to talk about how these experiences have affected your life. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And thank you for having this podcast. What a wonderful resource. Thank you. I was reading your book. Would love for you to share with everyone kind of your background as a caregiver and then what brought you to write the book? Well, as we uh, were, were mentioning off air, it wasn't like I chose to be a caregiver. I didn't go to school to be a nurse. I didn't sign up to be a companion. Uh, this is just something that happened. I was the oldest in my family. My parents were literally sick my entire life. I don't, I was trying to think of this before we spoke today. I do not think I remember a single year where one or the other of them wasn't hospitalized. So it just was something that, that happened. It, it, um, it, yeah, it was either caring, helping care for them as was appropriate, you know, depending on my age or, um, helping care for my younger brother and sister. Just, that's just the the way it, it was. And I just learned you step up and do what you need to do to take care of your family. Yeah. It's, it's quite a lesson in advocacy as well. Having had grandparents that have been not well and visiting them in the hospital and navigating that whole scenario is definitely a challenge. Well, it's a challenge for anybody, and it's um, at one point during this process, I actually was employed by our local hospital. So I, as a non-clinician, I was in the marketing department, so I had a, a backroom view of how everything worked, and it, it didn't make it all that much easier. I did have the cell phone numbers of the docs, but um, aside from that, the system's the system. 
that the system's the system. And one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, really, this is a love letter to the other adult children that I saw in the ER waiting rooms and in the nursing home and at the doctor's office and in hospice. I just realized that when you go down this path, rather you choose it or not, somehow, of course, we all do choose it if we're the one taking mom or dad to the doctor or whatever. There are just ways to make even that horrible situation, especially toward the end, there's ways to make it better for you. There's ways to make it better for the person who's ailing. There's just a better way to do things. I found it really interesting in the beginning of your book where you talk about sort of the state of mind that you were in when you started on the journey with your with your dad. Well, that is really interesting. Uh, I, in retrospect, you you never know, right? What's going to happen? My dad, my mother had already passed. My dad was at home with help, but my dad was at home. We had people that stayed, you know, the night with him and things like that. But he, um, you know, he still went and did social events. That went out to lunch with his friends. Had somebody, we had somebody that would drive him, but still, he, we went to visit him almost every day. And he and I actually were picking, it was in March when he first got this final, the final event that, that led to this series of events. We were spending hours picking basketball teams for um, the March Madness and fighting over, no, we should put this team in. What about that team? And I mean, he was right on top of it. Literally, that was on Thursday, and by Saturday, we were in the ER, and the doctor said, he's never, he's never going to leave. He's not going to last 24 hours. So you went from dad and I are having a great time to, oh, my God, I'm losing my dad, to, wait a minute, he made it through the weekend, but he won't make it through this week, and then he made it through that week. And the uncertainty is what was so exhausting, the ups and downs, and daddy's going to be okay, and oh my God, we're going to lose daddy, and who do we call it? That kind of emotional roller coaster was, um, that was overwhelming, and it lasted for months, almost two years. And in the intro to the book, you talk about the anger and all of those emotions and the challenges that, that were coming up for you sort of in that time. And as, as I was reading the book, I really could see like the full spectrum of, of emotions that people may experience. Being a survivor myself, I, I got them all reflected back at me as I had to share my diagnosis. And, mm. and that was so interesting. And to see them sort of laid out in this, in this journey of how to choose love was, was very interesting for me. Can you talk about that a little bit and how the place that you were in? Well, it's just, uh, you know, it's just so interesting because when you plan your year, you don't go, Oh, March. Yep. Let's do a medical, let's have a medical event here. That's going to change your life. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and lose income from your work because you're going to be doing this the same way that my dad didn't look at the year and go, yep, going to almost die here. And then I'll come back. And I mean, it's, it's the uncertainty. And while the patient is being cared for, I mean, he was certainly going through a horrific event, and I don't want to in any way um, 
say that it wasn't because quite frankly, you know, it was, he was fighting for his life, but there were people taking care of him. He was being bathed. He was being fed. He had the medication he needed for the caregivers that are in that crisis. You're afraid to leave. You don't always eat. You certainly, I certainly was not eating what I usually eat. I wasn't hydrated. As a matter of fact, at one point I asked the doctor, should I leave? My only son is graduating college. What do I do? You want to be everywhere. So yeah, those emotions are just like a roller coaster. That's a really great point too, because you mentioned all the services that your dad had. The people were bathing him and taking care of him and taking him to physical therapy. I'm sure when he was able to do that or coming in and helping him move his body and yet, as a caregiver, you're do, trying to do all the things and get to all the places. And those activities of eating good food and making sure you're hydrated and moving your body, getting exercise, which is so vitally important, those start to fall off. And one of, one of my big focuses for caregivers in general is, like, you have to put you first. You can't show up for everyone else in the best way. I, I remember my husband shortly after I was sort of on the, I was done with chemo and all those things. And he had gone in for a physical and his cholesterol was really high. And he was like, well, it's been a hard year. And I was like, do not blame me for your poor food choices. <laughs> And we actually eat, I'm celiac and I have a dairy allergy. So we actually, by, by default, eat fairly well. I was like, no, no. <laughs> well, I, I have to take up for him, I must say. <laughs> and it's just, it's when you, when you love someone, you want to be the hero. You want to be the one. You, you take such, um, at least that's what happened for me. It was like, I just wanted to be there every second to make sure, was that nurse right? Did he get what he was supposed to have? Um, it, and, and you're right. It did not serve me at all to not take care of myself. But that's another point that I think is really important for your listeners. When you're in that emergency situation, in, I know it for me, in my head, it was like, it's just going to be another few days and then we'll get daddy home. Or it's just by the end of the week, we can get him to the nursing home and things will be better. Well, I was power of attorney, so I had that, and I had the medicals, right? So all the forms had to be signed. I mean, there's just always things to do, and there's you don't have a an end point. It's not like a work project where, you know, this project's going to go on for a week or two weeks. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, and I know dealing with the hospital systems is really challenging, and there is that feeling of, well, are they getting everything that they need? And are they able to advocate, like, on what level are they advocating for themselves? I remember when my grandmother was in and out of the hospital in her last three months, she was always very cognitively present. So, like, we came in one day, and she was like, I haven't gotten my pain medication. And she was, like, three hours overdue for her pain medication. Mm. And it was like an act of Congress to get the person yeah. that we needed to sign the paper because something had been done wrong with her orders. Yeah. The nurse was upset that we were not leaving until this situation was fixed. <laughs> 
And it's just that really challenging. So in addition to just trying to make sure everything's happening, it's like we become that watchdog. Well, yeah. And in, in my dad's case, he was admitted March 14th. They gave him, we asked him for, he took him to the hospital. Dad, do you want to go? What do you want to do? Yes, he wants to go. He had a terrible infection and he, they, they blasted him with antibiotics, which was, that was what he wanted. But he ended up with what they called, I believe I'm remembering this correctly, pharmaceutically induced dementia. So he was never able to advocate for himself. Literally, we had to be there every second. As you know, in modern times, the patient ratio is much different. If somebody wasn't there, daddy was falling out of bed. So either one of us was there or we had to pay a caregiver to stay with him. He had, so it, it was, it was just not a happy time. And I read in your book as well, where you talk about the challenge of him falling out of bed mm-hmm. and asking for a rail and yep. not being able to get a rail because that was considered restraint. A constraint, yeah. A restraint, yeah. And then he fell out of bed and broke his hip. They did lower the bed uh, as much as they could. And I understand because I worked in a hospital, I understand some of the regulations. But with all due respect to the medical professions and, and the people that regulate, I would never, ever, ever want anyone restrained against their will. But some of these rules are just kind of dumb. It, I mean, literally, he was there one day, falls, breaks his hip, literally by just rolling out of bed, we have to go back to the hospital and get this. We had to pay for an entire month to hold his room from a private pay standpoint at the nursing home while he was back at the hospital. So not only are you trying to take care of this person that you love and adore, but you're trying to manage funds. Absolutely. That is definitely a challenge. And that that plays into the whole insurance piece as well. I know in my grandmother's case, toward the end, I believe at the time, and this may have changed, this was many years ago, at the time, Medicare paid for five days. Per event. Um, per event. So unless there was something actively being managed that only the hospital could do, she would be released after five days. And we went through this like three week period or four week period of she'd be in the hospital for five days. They'd say there's no way she's being discharged. Like on day four, they'd say there's no way she's being discharged. And then on day five, they'd be like, Oh yeah, she's going home today. And happened to us within 24 hours, it would be someone. um, And at the time my sister was having my, my second nephew and my mom was traveling and she was the main the primary caregiver and then my brother had been made the secondary since my parents were both going to be traveling so either one of them was like at the hospital at the nursing home in the middle of the night so that less than 24 hours after she was released so that they could send her back every time it happened they would say really are we really doing this again like it's so frustrating. They did that to us one time, um, told us at five o'clock PM that he was being discharged in an hour. He couldn't walk. We couldn't 
whole, I mean, it, we, we, we're like, what do you want us to do? Drag him out of here? How, we don't have, you didn't give us time to set up any home care. How are we supposed to do that? It, it was ridiculous. And I understand the doctor actually was, he tried everything that he could. And we even said, look, we will pay for an extra night out of pocket. And he was like, they're like, look, you don't want to do that. Like, yeah. you, don't, you, you don't want to do that. But I understand they were tied by rules and regulations, but it just really points to how the entire system here in the United States needs to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you look at the charges, they're not congruent. I started tracking when I had my diagnosis, I started tracking what my insurance, what my costs were, what my bill said, what I paid, what my insurance paid. This was interesting as well, because I really was the Affordable Care Act was 2016. I was self insured. So I was on a silver plan through the Affordable Care Act and I paid $287.50 a month and I had silver level coverage, which was quite good. I had a copay. I had a flat deductible. So like my current plan, we have a deductible plus, like we have a deductible and then we have a coinsurance until we hit X dollars. Um, So at the time I had a a flat deductible of $5,250. Once I hit $5,250, I was done and everything else would be covered. And I have to give credit to my insurance company because they didn't deny me anything. They approved every test. They approved every treatment. Between April, I I had my mammogram on like April 27th. And between April and December, my bills were just over $300,000. I am thrilled that it worked out for you. In the case of my out-of-pocket was around $87.50, somewhere in there, like with my my payments, because I was also a younger person, so my premiums yeah. were a little bit lower. I was covering a single person, not a family. Right. But the big takeaway from that was about... I think my insurance paid something like 157,000. I paid like 8,700, that included my premium. So I paid my 5,250. And then the rest of that $300,000 gets written off. Yes. It's written off as a, a, you know, not compliant cost. Yeah. And for people that don't have insurance, like to me, that's the big gap that we need to fix. I want everyone to have insurance for sure. I think that that's just puts us all in a place of, of more financial, it's a financial safety net, if nothing else. But we definitely have to close that gap. Like where did that 130, $60,000 go like someone who didn't have insurance wouldn't pay for it. Options. Yeah. It has to pay for it. And there's, and some things are just written off. You're right. But I think that you're bringing up a point of how, yes, there is hard cost associated with care, but there's also cost with, um, you know, you, if you were running a business, you lost money in your business. Right. As a caregiver, my, the first year, um, gosh, I think my business went down 50% because I was not there. I'm a single solopreneur. Yep. 
And there were some weeks, literally, I was in the hospital with my dad 50 hours. Yep, absolutely. So it's just, there's such a wide range of financial cost with it. Um, Yeah, so it's just really something that needs, and as much as I want everybody to have insurance, and I absolutely do, I also want everybody to be healthy. Uh, Yes, yes. It's like the first thing, let's just all be healthier. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the items that are in your book where you really talk about that, that shift from, from that place of anger and and wanting to slap someone and, and really shifting how we shift that to love and really how that impacts our, our health as well. Um, So we are going to be back. Enjoying the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast? Come on over to the Facebook group where you can join the community and participate in the conversation during the week. I hope to see you there. Now back to the show. I'm here with Diane Hayworth. She has an article that was on Thrive Global recently. And one of the lines that I had actually called from her book as well as here in the article is, while it's prudent to be mindful of the past and ready to step into the future, the real beauty of life is in the now. And I think as we're going through a challenge, especially if it's a health challenge, it's it can be challenging to stay in the now (laughs) and appreciate the now for the gifts that it's actually bringing us. I agree. I think that um, usually we're run by fear, especially in this kind of a situation, the what ifs and you people in my experience rarely go to what if there's a complete recovery and we're walking out of here by tomorrow and we win the lottery and there's no problems. That's usually not the way it goes. No, no, that's, that's not usually the way people go. It's usually much more the other way. Oh my gosh. It, that's how it was in my brain, I must say. And what I eventually realized was I couldn't change the past while I had to be aware of the future and make sure daddy was getting the best care he could and talk to our family and do all that. I was missing out on who he was right now. And even though he, we just discussed, he um, had a, a form of dementia, he didn't know where he was, he, he always knew us, and he became quite the little character. He was funny, he would give the doctors and nurses a hard time, they would always come in there and go, oh man, you're just, this is the highlight of my day. And when I could relax enough to see how he was interacting where he was right then, I could, it it was like I got in on the joke. There was this beautiful unfolding. The parts of my dad that had been very uptight and proper and we do things like this and that, that stuff was gone. That that was gone. And it, 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 it just, 
it was one of the biggest gifts of my life to be able to accept him where he was and enjoy him for where he was without mourning. Well, uh, that's not true. I was mourning, I have to say. I was mourning the dad I no longer had. And I was in horrible fear of the day that I wouldn't have him at all. But when I could put those parts of my personality at bay and I could enjoy this beautiful being where he was, we both laughed. We had so much fun. We played jokes on people. We just, we just really enjoyed ourselves at a different, it was a different phase to our relationship than we'd ever had. It, it just, it was fantastic. I have to say it was fantastic. Even amid the medicines and the procedures um, there was a special joy to loving and accepting him where he was. That's so beautiful. You also had mentioned when we were talking off air about how the nurses and, and different caregivers within the hospital would come and, and ask, bring him their, their challenges with their boyfriends or husbands and, and get his his opinion. Daddy was giving life advice and dad had no idea where the hell he was. I mean, it was, that's, <laughs> how funny is that? But he was so patient and so present with them. And, and at, from what they tell me, gave him fantastic, he, he saved marriages evidently. He gave financial advice. And believe me, a guy that didn't even know what state he was in is not the guy I would have asked for financial advice. But now, not that he gave stock tips or anything, but I believe that he was, uh, if I remember correctly, he told uh, several of the younger girls to save, to have goals. He really talked about um, some of those core, I guess they would have been his uh, core beliefs that, you know, I'd forgotten he had. It just, you know, he just was my dad. And to see him be this loving, kind, compassionate person that, that really changed other people's lives in the most unlikely situation. That was just, just what a gift that was to me. That's once beautiful. I figured it out, Jen, once I figured it out. That's beautiful. And, it, and it's beautiful that you were able to get to a place where you could recognize the fear and the anger component and really be able to connect into the joy I think in general, we struggle with that. And, and also, you have this focus on everyone having their own unique journey. And it was interesting for me recently, in one week, I had two different people sort of question my journey and my approach to my journey. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting, because the first time it happened, the person sort of intimated that my story wasn't, oh, how did they put it? She didn't think people would root for me. Oh my. And I was like, wow, wow, was that's interesting. That's a okay. I don't know how I feel about that. And then um within within a couple of days, someone had questioned, did I not have enough sadness associated with my diagnosis? And and that just wasn't part of my I, I really sat with that for like several days because I was like, wow, like I'm not, uh, no one would root for me and I'm supposed to be sad. Huh. Well, that 
that's interesting. Like this has come up sort of twice in one week. So maybe I need to look at it. And as I sat with it, I was like, no, that's actually not true for me. Like I'm totally okay with how, with what my approach was and I'm good with it. Like this is, I'm okay with how I, with what my journey has looked like thus far. And I, I like this kind of idea that everyone has their own unique journey and it looks different for everyone. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. Well, it does look different. And it, and, and a lot of this came to me, I have to say in retrospect, as I'm, I love, I'm very curious. I observe, I was observing what was going on with us. When you're in a nursing home situation, you observe other families, you get to see the same people. Lots of times, you know, Saturday night, we were all at the ER together because it had been an ice storm and you know, here you go with your elderly parents. One of the things that I realized was how it was my ego that said, dad should be like this. He should have eaten these kinds of things. He should have exercised like this. He shouldn't be here. That's all judgment on my part. I also realized it was my judgment that in my own head was saying, you know, dad should be sad and, and um, this should be a, a horrible experience for him. Now, it certainly was in many ways. He had lots of physical challenges. There was pain and that sort of thing. But who am I to say he can't give life advice to these people who obviously really, it, it, he really impacted? That's my judgment. That, how do I know in the grand scheme of things, as you know, I'm um, a spiritual coach as well as other things. It really helped me understand, for all I know, this was part of dad's journey to be in those hospitals, in those ERs, to see exactly those people and to play out whatever his life role was. Who, who am I to say that was the wrong way to do it? His soul, what I understood, and it, it took me it took me a while. I don't want to say I was just riding unicorns over rainbows there because that did not happen. I was still would go from being angry and upset to accepting. Meditation is something that helped me with that. And my own coach said to me, Diane, your dad's soul is in control. You can be there 24 hours a day, but you have to go get something to eat. You got to go take a shower. You're going to go to the restroom. Whatever your dad is supposed to experience, he will experience. You being there white knuckled, driving yourself nuts is not going to do anything but negatively affect your life. And once I realized the wisdom of that, it, it really did, it, it, it enabled me to accept dad where he was and to honor what his path was. Again, making sure he had his medication, he was at the right place, the bills were paid, you know, all of that. But I was able to judge less what this stage of his life was or mine, that I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing this. And it was like, I'm all in, my family was in, this was what we were going to do is we were all going to help my dad through this last phase in the way that, you know, each of us chose to. And it made things much better, much, much, much better. I love that idea of choice as well, because there are so many choices that we make. I hear far too often, I, I didn't have a choice or 
when the reality is we always have choices. Some are hard, some are easy, some feel thrust upon us, which you referred to sort of er, or alluded to earlier in our conversation in being a caregiver for the majority of your, your life. But we always have choices and that's really a beautiful thing. You always have the choice of how you think about it. Now, I do want to say that we were very, very blessed. My parents had established some financial uh, funds that enabled us to make sure we had hands-on caregiving. So that we, we were much better off than many, many, than many families, I have to say. Um, and he was in a facility. We couldn't, none of us had homes that were equipped to be able to help him there at the last uh, couple years. So we were very blessed like that. But even in those situations where I, I remember one of the most horrible days I had was when um, I had to sign the DNR. That still makes me tear up when I think about that. But I know that's what he wanted. We talked about that years in advance. My brother and sister were on board. Um, but what I had to do was change my attitude and that's where the choice comes in. How are you thinking about this? And if you're not liking what's going on, can you do something about it? You can always shift your perspective and that's where the real power is. That's how you choose love when you just want to slap somebody. And as you know, <laughs> there was lots of people I wanted to slap, but it was because of my attitude and my fear. It's really my fear, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just my fear. This is my dad. So such a blessing as well that your siblings were on board. Because I know that's a challenge that can face families as well, where everyone's not all on the same page. Well, you know, I've worked with lots in my coaching practice. I've worked with lots of people, families that are going through this. And what I find is um, everybody reacts to these tragedies in their own way. Fear comes up in its own way. Once you can understand that, it you can deal with it. And our family, like others, you know, we had days where we all didn't agree. But what we did have was enough. Um, we we had been working together enough to say, look, we can't. This is a problem we can't solve today. We need to walk away for 24 or 48 hours. Let's think about it and come back. We never sever ties with each other. And that is a blessing that I am just to this day very, very thankful for. And that is so wise because I think that it's in those, it's in those moments where we say, we don't have the answer right now and let's take a step back because in that step back, the solutions may come to different people differently. And then when you come back together, you have different perspectives. That's exactly right. And the other thing that I have learned through the process and in my own coaching practice is as much as we, each individual person, I know I'm guilty of this, just believes the world should think the way you do. Newsflash doesn't happen that way. You can't, you know, if you've got one sibling that is broken up and crying all the time because that's the way they're processing the grief, you can't tell them, get over it. The person who's pretending like it doesn't affect them and they're doing something else, you, you just have to give everybody their own space. However, you can do everything that you can to create a foundation and a um, way to communicate 
so that everybody sort of knows what's going on. And you just understand this is a bumpy road. Nobody signed up. Let's have a horrible drama this year where, you know, we're, we're all negatively impacted. I don't know many people that just go ahead and plan for that. It's just, it just happens and you do the best you can and love each other and forgive each other. There was a, a great line in your book that really resonated with me. And I tell people this in, in terms of movement and exercise. You said there's no good or bad information mm-hmm. or no good or bad news. There's just information. And you commented in, in the book that when you let go of the idea of good or bad and started viewing the news as information, you were able to release yourself from a lot of the drama that was getting tied up in these ideas of good and bad. And from a fitness perspective, I tell people there's no good or bad days. There's just information for how to make it different tomorrow. Oh, isn't that true? And it, what I found was, um, I, I won't say there wasn't some information I really wasn't happy to receive. However, by viewing it as information, it helped me manage the fear right? The fear of loss, the fear of pain, the fear of, you know, my gosh, what's, you know, what's going on with this person that I love so much. And to me, my goal as a caregiver was what is the best way to help daddy through this phase of his life in a way that he is as pain-free, as happy as, as he can be? How, how can I do that? And how can I do it in a way that preserves me, my marriage, my family, the rest of the family, all of that? Yeah, that's really lovely. Also, one of the items that you talk about in your book is this idea of, of writing your life script. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? That's actually something I've done with my clients for years. And it's just, it's just um, in, in a situation where you don't, feel like you have a lot of control, like you have a loved one, for example, like we're talking about that's in this um, situation. What I have my clients do and what I do is get a, a blank screen, start writing the way you would love your life to be in present tense by category. So I certainly didn't say, I wish my dad wasn't in this stupid hospital. That's not the way I would have written it. (laughs) In my family section, it would be, you know, I'm surrounded by loving, healthy family. We support each other. I talk about my health, my finances, that we live in um, a home that's safe, that's comfortable, that's welcoming. If somebody wants to, you know, be in a three-story home on the Riviera, I don't care, do that. But to me, it's much more about the feeling and the functionality. So it, it really helps people focus on what it is that they want to create in their life. And it's, there is something almost magical about the way it moves the energy, I have to say. It's really, it, it's really a wonderful exercise. And if you're just sitting around a hospital all day, why not have something constructive to do, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, that's really a beautiful mechanism too to kind of reframe when things are less than fabulous because we, we all have times where, especially in a health crisis or a 
a journey as the case may be, we all have times where it's not, you know, sunshine and, and unicorns. Nope. It's hard and there's choices and it's not easy. And to be able to kind of look ahead and say, this is what, and to speak in the present tense and say, this is what life looks like today, you actually can start to find the nuggets of what's good. You can. It brings up the gratitude piece, which you know is really important to me, but it also helps with the the realization that as as traumatic as this situation is, it's not it's not going to be that way forever. Even in a case where the the patient does not survive, the lives of others move on. They move on differently, but they do move on. So it gives you a different way to like I like the way you said it to reframe what was going on just so you can you can understand what it is that you do want to bring in your life. And as you know, um, and I bet lots of your 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 audience knows, what you focus on is what you have more of. So the more you're afraid, the more you're complaining, the more you're seeing what's wrong in your life, the more you're going to have to complain about, the more that's going to be wrong in your life. I mean, that's just the way it works because your brain is actually looking for ways to reinforce that. So why not be looking at some of the other things as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Can you let my listeners know how they could get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more or read more of your articles or get your book? Absolutely. And thank you for inviting me to be on this. This has just been a lot of fun for me. The best way to connect with me would be through my website, and that's www.dianehayworth, D-I-A-N-E-H-A-W-O-R-T-H.com. And you can see uh, what I offer there. There's also links to some of my um, books as well as the blog. And there's lots of free content as well. So I would love and invite anybody that's interested to come check me out. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you again soon. I do too. Thank you. Thanks so much. As we wrap up a great conversation today, I want to take a minute to talk about self-care. I have never really liked this term, yet the essence of what it means is critical to maintaining our well-being. I am renaming self-care to personality consciousness. Check out the Cancer Cliff Notes Facebook group for my Facebook Live on this topic and behind the scenes of my brain to why I've named it this. But for now, I want to leave you with this week's Personality Consciousness Minute. As we talked about today, changing your perspective for the positive can have a profound effect on your peace of mind and even improve your health. A gratitude journal is a great way to keep your perspective and raise your positive consciousness. Every day, write down five things you're grateful for. I like to do this at the end of the day. It only has to take a couple minutes. Some days the entries are grand, other days simple. This journal also gives us a great touchstone to check in with when we're having a less than stellar day. We can look back at the gifts of our day-to-day life and change our perspective in that moment. Let me know how it's going over in the Cancer Cliff Notes Facebook group and tune in next week when I'll be talking with Kelly Lennon. She'll be sharing her amazing 35-year cancer survivorship story. 
Then Shiri Rosenberg will be here sharing the resources of the American Cancer Society. See you next week.